Welcome to the Resonate Boise Sermons Podcast. Today, you'll be hearing from our site pastor in Ellensburg, Washington, Ted Wolf, as he continues our Beneath the Surface sermon series. It is my joy to be walking through this series with you that we have called Beneath the Surface. And the title might seem a little uh, mysterious, but our aim in this series is to get to what's below the surface of our lives. To quote Pete Scazzaro, a longtime pastor and now minister whose ministry is to help believers become emotionally healthy adults, Pete says, it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. What Pete is saying is that we cannot ignore what feelings, what hurt, and what trauma we have experienced that lives dormant within our hearts. Although we may not always see the effects of what is under the surface, that does not mean it is not affecting us currently or will not affect us over the course of our lives. The truth is you cannot remain emotionally unaware and immature and expect to deepen in your relationship with Christ. It is impossible. God's desire for you is to be deeply affected from the inside out. And this is not an overnight change, as with, as with many areas of your life when it comes to following Jesus. Uh, but if we want to experience the deep transformation of the Holy Spirit, then we must allow God to touch and heal the deep broken cracks of our hearts that have been affected by sin. We must avail ourselves to the revealing and exposing work of the Spirit. Thus far, we've talked about what it means to be searched and known by God. And this week, we're going to talk about worry and anxiety. According to a survey done by Single Care that surveyed 2,000 people, six out of 10 respondents said they experienced some degree of anxiety. And two of those 10 have been clinically diagnosed. Almost half, 47%, experience regular or frequent anxiety. A more specific survey done by HarmonyHit.com that surveyed 1,055 people between the ages of 18 and 24 reported that four out of 10 have a diagnosed mental health condition. And of that, more than half are taking medication. 85% would say they are worried about their future and have not been set up for success. Brothers and sisters, this is the growing norm of our culture. Our culture is hurried and worried and blurried. Our culture prides itself on hustling harder. That's hurried. Lives in a constant state of stress and or anxiety. Worried and looks to coping mechanisms to distract, and because of that is fearful and nervous about their future. Blurried. Although worry and anxiety is rampant in our culture, it does not have to be the norm of God's people. God actually wants the opposite for us. He offers us a way out. Jesus has some specific words when it comes to worry. So go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and let's look at what Jesus says about worry and anxiety. In Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? 
Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The context of this passage is that is with it is within Jesus's uh, sermon on the mount before the great crowd that had been following him. The therefore at the start of the section means it has some linkage to the just spoken topic of money, in which Jesus ends with, you cannot serve God and money. Jesus then moves to worry and anxiety, shifting from one condition of the heart to another, shifting from greed to worry when it comes to material things like food and clothing. In both sections, Jesus is lifting the eyes of those listening to see the truth about the God of the universe. Today, as we draw out from this text, I want to define for us what worry and anxiety is, why we have it, and as believers, what we are commanded to do with it. Those will be our three points for today. So first point, what is worry and anxiety? And secondly, within that, what happens if I do not address it? Before we draw from the text, I want to provide for us a strong understanding of what the word worry means in this text. I'm sure we can all attest to the feeling of worriedness or what it is like for us to worry when our thoughts are constantly centered on something. But I want to provide a clear definition so that we can adequately draw the truth from the text. The Greek word for worry in this passage is merimnau, which can be translated as to care for, to be anxious, or to be concerned. And hearing those definitions, uh, we know that caring isn't bad. We care about what we will eat. We care about what we'll do as a job. We are concerned about our friend's well-being. We care about our family. But what we know about worry is that it can start to consume us. I thought about tomorrow's tests can lead you to an hour of worrying. Thinking aspirationally about your future can lead to worrying about what Will I do for a career for the next 30 years? How much money will I make? Or who will my friends be? General care about something that is important shifts and then it starts to consume you. A quote from Corey Ten Boom puts it like this. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. Worry itself is rooted in the dealings of something in the future and feeling the effects of that today. It can also be worrying about something that you have no or limited control of. And by doing this, you aren't present with the dealings of today and you spend energy on something that you can't affect anyways. That is why Jesus concludes this section by saying, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. And when worrisome thoughts sit and they stew in our minds, they trickle into our hearts. Upstairs in our heads, we have swirling thoughts about something and the thoughts keep adding and swirling because we cannot find a way to affect what we are worried about. Then what happens is this starts to affect our hearts. We start to experience a feeling called anxiety. We become anxious. And this is a physical feeling. I'm sure many of you have felt anxiety in some way, whether over long periods of time or just in short spouts. Anxiety is the body's reaction to worry. This feeling can be prolonged and it can last unless until it is dealt with. So on a prolonged scale, or even on a day-to-day scale, anxiety has a root. If it is chronic anxiety, it could be a deep root that has created deep thinking patterns in your mind that are like ruts, as well as severe wounds in your heart that needs the healing power of the spirit, which does take time. Or it can be on the day-to-day, and these could be shallow roots of worries that have led to anxieties. There's a root. So when Jesus says in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. When he says, do not worry about your life, he's diagnosing the issue. He's not saying don't care about things. Jesus is saying the problem is your uncontrollable and unuseful worry does no good to your life. In verse 27, Jesus says, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And all of us would say, no, it actually takes time away from me. It takes time away from my life. What starts in the mind affects the heart. And then it starts to affect the body. It makes you absent-minded in your day or days. It robs you of a still heart and affects you physically, potentially to the point of harm. To say it plainly, worry creates anxiety, and anxiety does not add to your life. Therefore, what we are worried about must be addressed, and we must do something about it. So some questions you might be asking now are, how do I combat worry? Is there a way out of worry? For this answer, we find the first part of the answer in the text. And the first part of the answer is that our God is sovereign. This is the first part of the answer. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more valuable? Are you not much more valuable than they? Verse 28, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow's thrown in the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? These verses pick up our eyes and tell us there's an almighty, sovereign God who's in control. We need not worry because our God, our Heavenly Father, takes care of us. He takes care of you. 
The word sovereignty is defined as supreme power or authority. God is sovereign. He is the supreme power of the universe and the ultimate authority. He's not hands off on the universe, he's hands on. He is above all. And he's not hands off on your life. He holds your life in his hands. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. Psalm 93 says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established and it cannot be shaken. Your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. Greater than the roar of a huge torrent, the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. Lord, your testimonies are completely reliable. Holiness adorns your house for all the days to come. Our God, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, who is everywhere, is the great orchestrator of the universe. He is in control of the large story of the world, and he is in control of your individual life. You can trust that God has your life rigged. You can rest in his plan knowing that he works all things for the good of those who love him. He is for your good. Our lives are in his hands. That is why whether it be day-to-day or future things, we can be confident that God will take care of us. We can be confident that the great provider who provides all that we have will provide for our current and future needs. We can be confident that he is guiding our steps and leading us in his will for our lives, which is to know him deeply and follow in his trustworthy ways. God, take, God takes care of the clothes, or sorry, God takes care of and clothes the grass. He will certainly provide clothing for you. God takes care of and feeds the birds. He will certainly provide food for you. He will provide a job. He will provide a house. He will provide financially for you. Worry will do none of that. The lie oftentimes with worry is that once I finally have enough, of something, then I'll stop worrying. If I have enough money in my bank account to be financially secure, then I'll stop worrying. When I finally get that house with enough space, then I'll stop worrying. When our thoughts are fixed on the cares of the world and we rely upon our own strength and understanding, we'll constantly replace worry with another worry. We will never experience freedom from them. So here's a practical action step that you can do to live into God's sovereign control. What you can do on a piece of paper is draw a line and on one side, right at the top, it's like a T-chart, on one side, write what is true about God and in his control. And on the other side, you can write what's in my control. When you have a situation, 
when you have some worry, you can do some diagnosing. And you can, on one side, write what's in God's control. List out the things that are in God's control. And on the other side, for you, write out what's specifically in your control. What can you put tangible effort to? This helps you clearly see what's God's and what's yours. So for example, uh, if you're worried about a test you have on Tuesday, this is what you can do. What's in God's control? God is with you. What's in God's control and what's true? God is with you. He brought you to where you are now. He will gladly bear the hardship of this massive test. What's in your control? Pray and be honest with God about your worries and fears about this test. Plan out time to study. Study. And then go and take the test. When we believe and trust that God is in control of our lives and provides for all our needs, as well as take action on the things that we have control of, we find rest for the restlessness in our hearts. But the question you have to ask yourself is, do you believe your life is actually in God's hands? And do you believe that you're taken care of if your life is in God's hands? On a large scale, do you believe the sovereign Lord is with you and he's actually guiding you? Do you believe his plans and purposes for your life are immeasurably more valuable than anything you could conjure up on your own thinking? Ask yourself those questions. So again, this was part one of the answer of what we do with worry and anxiety. In part two of the answer, we find in verse 33. Part two is to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. One more time. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is a verse to memorize. Write this down, underline it, and come back to it. But you might be asking, what does that mean? What does it mean to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? I get the added to me part, but what does it mean to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? Jesus commands us to seek the things of God, to seek eternal things. Eternal things are kingdom things. Again, in the section that speaks about our treasures here on earth in the section right before this one, in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 6, it says, But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Lift your eyes up to the eternal citizenship you have, the otherworldly identity given to you. Care about kingdom things over the earthly, temporary things. His righteousness refers to obedience to Christ. If Christ and his ways are where true wholeness and worth and satisfaction are held, then we must seek first his righteousness. If we truly believe we are set free more and more as we submit to the yoke of Christ, then we must seek first his righteousness. We must repent and believe. C.S. Lewis wrote once, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. 
aim at earth, and you'll get neither. So I just want to be clear, Jesus isn't saying, don't care about anything, don't care about everything altogether, but rather he's saying, shift your cares, lift up your eyes to eternity, seek what actually matters in the end. When we shift our eyes to the pursuit of Christ and his kingdom, we find the longings of our soul met and we joyfully experience the blessings given to us by God. Don't forget Jesus says, and all these things will be added to you. Your tangible needs will be met, but even greater, your eternal need is met in him. If you aim at the things of this world, you will find no relief from the perpetuating anxieties, nor will you find peace that Jesus wants to freely give to you. So here's an, here's an example of both seeking first the kingdom and seeking first his righteousness. One way to seek first the kingdom. Pray for God's kingdom to come and his will be done, just like Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer. Remember, there's an eternity waiting for you that's secured, undefiled, and unperishable in heaven. But the reality is there are those who do not have that and are currently perishing without the hope of Christ that was given to you. So what you can do practically is pray. Pray for lost students that you pass by on campus. Pray for your coworkers by name. And again, or another way, join God in his mission to seek and save the lost by making time to befriend non-believers and share the good news you place your hope in. That's how you can invest in the kingdom. An example of seeking first his righteousness would be to pray and be honest with God specifically about your worries and anxieties. Within that, asking God to move in what's in his control. In that column, um, with all the things that are in God's control, what you can do every time is to pray for God to do what's in his control. What you can also do is pray to God and ask him to align your rebellious heart to his. God, align my heart to yours. God, lead my heart. Lead me to care about what you care about, God, because I'm so prone to care about what I care about, what the world cares about. To do that, or to continually go to him and lay things down, just be explicitly honest with him. God, this is what I'm worried about. I don't think you actually want to provide for me. And remind yourself of the truth. That's how you can seek his righteousness. So in all this, you might be saying to yourself and asking, wanting to ask, uh, what do I do with my general anxieties? What do I do on the day-to-day -day with my worries that I'm constantly overcome with and swept away by? So to close, I want to leave you with two verses that are practical when it comes to worry. Here are two verses that point to what is in our control. And these verses are found in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 say, <clears throat> Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
These verses state that by coming to God in prayer often and petitioning or asking, you will find peace. And here's why you find peace. It is because in your neediness, in your dependence, in your desperation, and in your reliance on God, by casting your cares on him, you experience peace. You lay the heavy rocks that are your burdens that you are bearing at his feet. And you walk away with peace because you are no longer carrying those heavy rocks that are your worries and anxieties. And when you become worrisome and anxious again, you come to him again and again and again. We're prone to wander and try to be self-reliant children. But when we continue to live into our neediness for God, we actually experience peace. And this peace, as it says, surpasses all understanding. It makes no sense in the midst of an anxiety-ridden, worry-filled culture. And not only that, it says that this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we're filled with this peace, our hearts and our minds are guarded from the tempting and worrisome and fearful thoughts. Uh, for me personally, uh, money is something that I'm tempted to be worried about. I worry about having enough for future expenses, uh, future children, uh, future repairs, future unexpected surprises, whatever it is. And God's been so faithful in my wife and I's needs, um, but I'm prone to forget how he's provided. So when worrisome thoughts and the what-if thoughts come in, have grown in the discipline of giving these worrisome thoughts to God. I'm not perfect at it, but it's a growing discipline. And honestly, sometimes I'm unaware of how these worrisome thoughts have seeped into my heart. But then I start to experience the anxiety. And so this is where I have to go and be alone with God and ask him to search me uh, and know me like, was what, like what was preached about last week. God, expose what's going on. Why am I anxious? And he's faithful to reveal. So no matter what, I have to release control to God of what is in his control and remind myself that he is the great provider and provides for all of my needs. What is in my control is to go to him and to ask for provision because that's what's in his control. Church, worry, stress, and fear can be exhausting and crippling. Experts say that we're in a mental health crisis and that anxiety alone is the number one diagnosed mental health struggle. Brothers and sisters, remember this. Jesus is the good shepherd that faithfully shepherds us. He is our wonderful counselor who intently hears us and guides us. And he's the great physician who heals us. He's called the Prince of Peace, and he offers this peace that, peace that surpasses all understanding to those who will trust and depend on him. He has come and laid down his life for us to release us from the chains of fear, worry, and anxiety by drawing us into relationship with our Heavenly Father, who faithfully cares for us. When we rely on our kind and gracious and trustworthy Father, 
in heaven. We will experience the peace that is only found in him. So brothers and sisters, go to him. Bring your worries, the root of your anxieties to him and lay them at his feet. He is ready and waiting with open arms to receive and take the burdens that you try to bear on your own. They're meant to be placed in his hands. You're not meant to rely on your own strength and abilities solely, but are made to depend on your almighty sovereign guide. And what is amazing is our father doesn't get tired of us and he never will. He's ecstatic when we come to him and rely on him. May we believe that. May we be a people who are at peace in the midst of a culture of worry and fear. May our peace reflect and point those who are helpless and empty to the only source of true peace. And we pray that would become true for us. God, it feels so normal to be in a culture, God, where fear and worry God, are just normal daily struggles for every single person. It's easy to think that this is the, the norm and there's no way out. God, I pray for your people. God, I pray for my fellow brothers and sisters, God, who experience worry and fear, God, who experience the stresses of the world, God. They would come to you and trust that uh, they stand confidently before you, God. You're a father whose arms are open and you want to take, God, the thoughts and the burdens and the anxiety, God. God, you want to show us that you are in control. You also want to show us, God, what we can affect. So God, I pray for the freedom, God, of hearts, God, that are gripped by anxiety. God, I pray that you would renew minds, God. You would heal hearts of chronic anxiety. And God, that you would lead your people to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding, only found in you, God. Lead your people to your face more and more and more. That what they find, God, that what they're actually looking for is in you because you are trustworthy and faithful and we can depend on you. We love you, King Jesus. I ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Mm-hmm.